1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film Podcast. On this week's edition, I'm joined once again by Jack Howard. Now, as you probably know, David Fincher has a new movie, Mank, which is coming to Netflix on December the 4th. It's Fincher's 11th feature. And so, in advance of its release, Jack and I thought that we would do our top 10 David Fincher movies in order. Now, if you listen to our previous top 10 Christopher Nolan movies, you'll know that we began thinking it would make one podcast, then it turned into two, it ended up being three you'll be relieved to know that this podcast is simply split into two. So for the first part, this part, we're going to run down numbers 10 to 6. And in our next Kermit on Film Edition, we're going to run down numbers 5 to 1. Worth saying also that this podcast was recorded just after the news came that a vaccine for COVID had been found and President Trump had lost the election. I know he's still fighting it, but hey he lost. So sit back and enjoy me and Jack Howard enjoying the films of David Fincher. Meg, it's awesome Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale?
0: Just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about
1: something. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. I
0: gave you a second chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court, Chester. Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph first!
1: You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished.
0: Menk. Mr. Mankowitz. Mark, oh. this is the first time that we're speaking since there's been a wonderful change in the world.
1: Which particular change are we talking about because there's the, the, I I know well, exactly what We've one... also
0: had some news today about yes, exactly. potential vaccine. Okay. Yeah. So, but okay. I also, I I think I'm speaking about the elephant in the in the White House and yeah. uh, and how he's no longer in the White House.
1: So we're recording this um uh just to just to, I mean that the election obviously as everyone knows went on for the best part of a week. A lot of people were doing a lot of complaining about it going on for the best part of a week, but no, that's how it works. They were counting every vote. The reason they couldn't <laughs> count the votes in advance is that Trump's corrupt administration had attempted to stop uh, uh, states from counting them in advance, because what Trump's corrupt administration believed was that they would win at the ballot box, which we all knew, um, but then when it came to the postal votes, there would be many more for Joe Biden. So they wanted to give the impression of a a red wave or a red mirage, as it was correctly being described by the responsible press uh, in advance. The red mirage did indeed happen in the first few hours, followed by a massive swing towards uh, Biden. At the point that we're speaking, is four million up, has now received more uh, votes than any other presidential candidate ever and has swept home to a romping up. But at the time that we're speaking, Bunker Boy is still hiding in his room, rage-tweeting about conspiracy theories. Fox News are tying themselves up in knots, trying to figure out how to deal with a world in which the man whose bottom they've been licking for the last four years is about to be dragged out of the White House by the Secret Service. Uh, Also, in just in the, the, the time just before we've come on air, uh, what happened was Pfizer announced a major breakthrough uh, with a coronavirus vaccine. Uh, the Trump family, the Trump crime family, uh, tweeted that it was all a response. All, <laughs> it was all a part of uh, Trump's um, fantastic uh, administration that had done it. And Pfizer immediately replied, no, it was nothing to do with them at all. We weren't involved with the Trump administration at all. Thank you very much. So So the lying continues. The the lying and the deceiving, but I don't care because... Well, no, no, no.
0: Sometimes he does tell the truth. He, he has a certain way of framing things, Mark. I really like the tweet that says that he has the most votes for a sitting president of all time, which is true. It is true. It but is true it's second to
1: the guy Who that won. beat you. Yes, so in other words, <laughs> you lost. Yes, yes. It, it, absolutely. You 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 absolutely did do that and you but, but then again, I I was... I don't know whether you saw this, but I basically spent a week not sleeping, which is why I look this because I was just glued to the news channels twenty you know twenty four seven. So I was watching live when Trump came out of his bunker to to just lie to say I won the election. Uh, every, every it's all fraudulent if you count that. And then when they came back to it was Andrew Neil and katy Kay who were just doing a brilliant job on the BBC and literally they were just they were. Lo- looking like. Okay, and Katy Kay did this most brilliant thing, the phrase that she kept using, and she, uh, it's, honestly, it's the best, she kept she kept having to say, uh, for the record, none of that is true. And then she was just yes. carrying, she. Kept I absolutely to say, love none now of that, is that true. the news are like
0: interrupting Trump now and be <laughs> like, I'm sorry, we're stopping that. Because he's just... It's just a load of bullshit and we can't put that on the news because it's not news. Like, I love that... Everyone's
1: done with it now. They're like, can we stop? Yes. Well, apparently we can't stop. However... I felt a collective sigh of relief. However, nothing, nothing, nothing could top the genius of Rudy Rudy Giuliani being about to have a press conference at which he was going to just spat a whole bunch of lies about, you know, about corruption and for a start, Rudy Giuliani, who was clearly escaped from the set of Nosferatu to, you know, scramble into the news and it was, the news conference was at 4.30 our time and Giuliani, because they'd originally announced that he was at the Four Seasons because they booked it wrong, they didn't brilliant. mean the Four Seasons Hotel, it ended up the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Car Park which was quite literally in between a mortuary on one side and a dildo shop on the other side. So, at 4.21 <laughs> Rudy Giuliani was standing in the parking lot of a landscaping firm framed on either side by death and dildos and he was about to address... It's like address... an episode of The Thick of It. It was. He was about it's like to... Armando Iannucci himself has written this <laughs> I know, plot. I know, I know. And just before he was able to start talking, the networks went, oh sorry um, Joe Biden's won, so we'll go over to that now. And it was just... It was, Honestly, it was Amanda Yanucci could never he would he wouldn't even he wouldn't have pushed it that far. It was genius. It was, I mean, for that for that moment, it was yeah, the whole thing was, was worth saying And For now, of course it is fun every now and then. I think one should try trying to avoid it as much as possible because one of the great things about this is that we don't have to listen to Trump, or his uh, or his That's family. We, we, don't nepotism, no, we don't have to listen to the big thing about this election. No, don't have to listen to nepotism. He's, he's Barbie, making America or... boring again. Yeah, it's just and... it's, it's 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 just wonderful. And 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 Biden's speech was brilliant and inclusive, and it he was so said, good. Was, you know, he said all the right things. He was great. And Kamala Harris he said all the things. Kamala Harris. Oh my God! I mean, she seriously looks like she can leap tall buildings at a single bound. And The Biden acceptance speech was on at two o'clock in the morning and I've never felt so awake in my life. So (laughs) sleepy Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Bunker Boy is just so great. Yeah. Sorry. I I
0: agree. I think the big thing out of this is just I can't wait to not hear about what the president has said every day. I just it's too much. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't know that much about what the president's doing.
1: But Jack, here's the thing. I'm happy to hear about what Joe Biden is doing every day because it will be something sensible and normal. I mean, we're going to, you know, rejoin the Paris Accord and uh, there'll, be, there'll be normal yeah. relationships. He's already, you know, embarrassed the hell out of Boris Johnson, which is great because Johnson hasn't met him. And uh, Johnson is... You know, Johnson was very good friends with Trump. And now, oh, fuck, I've got to deal with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> Just wriggle on it. Anyway... So, um... so
0: please. <laughs> I'm glad that you got that out of your system. Oh, it's That's not been out, out of up my system. For a while, it's it? not
1: out of my system, Jack. I'm, I mean, I have been, I have been happy. I mean, I did regular listeners will know I did a podcast with Greg Proops just before the election, and I was terrified. I was genuinely terrified. And Greg, of course, who not only knows a lot about movies but knows a lot about politics, was we're going It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It absolutely going to be fine. And then and actually when when it was looking a little sort of strange, I just sent Greg a message say, Just just reassure me this is gonna be fine. He went, It's gonna be better than fine. He said, They're gonna walk Pennsylvania. And I was thinking, Wow Really? And Mike, my friend who's from, you know, Montgomery, Alabama, was going, They're taking Georgia It was oh, it was it was joyous it was you know that
0: was such a wonderful thing to wake up to literally just scrolling and immediately all i heard in my head was georgia
1: <laughs> well in the words of malcolm McDowell in clockwork orange it was gorgeousness and gorgiosity and yum 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 and it really was all of those things anyway the re- my friend lex tweeted when the georgia thing was happened she was like i'm about to
0: go all call me by your name uh, because of Georgia.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, it's uh, you know as they say in the Magic Roundabout, and cry. as they say in Dougal and the Blue Cat, it's not a day for problems. It's a day for celebration and delight. And being fr- I mean, frankly, I kind of feel just like my job as a movie critic has kind of stopped because I just everything I look at, I go, it's great, love it. I don't care, you know. It's like I just yeah. saw, I just saw this thing that's coming out on Netflix. It's kind of Christmas movie. It's fine. I love it. I mean, it's it's not vile and hateful. And it's just so wonderful to be in a world in which vile and hateful... I
0: literally have felt like the internet is just a nicer place to be recently. Everyone just seems like they're in a good mood. I love it.
1: The whole world is a nicer place to be. The whole world. And and my, my... my wife, the good lady professor, her indoors when it, when this was all happening, and I make no bones about this. I mean, I, we were in tears. I mean, just in floods of tears, in floods of tears, because it feels like. And I don't know whether you were watching CNN when uh, when their anchor van was on, and 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 he was and he was he burst into tears, and he was and he said this thing about. He said. I've seen that clip. Oh my! Well, we were watching that live, and um, and it was. It was unbelievable because, of course, just before that, a few days before, I'd watched Colbert doing his monologue in which he'd stopped and burst into tears because he couldn't believe what Trump had been saying on the television because these are all decent people who actually care about the world and other people. And when faced with a monstrosity the size of Trump, it is, you know, it is... It, it, anyone who isn't morally appalled, I don't understand what's happening. But anyway... um there was a moment, and I know that i have I have gone on about it and obsessed about it rather a lot because I do feel, and I'll say this again, and then I'll move on whilst Trump was is but was for all intents and purposes in power, it was your moral duty to be outraged every single day because by normalizing that sort of stuff, that's how it gets worse. The thing that you know Colbert quotes everybody you know for for evil to thrive, it only takes good men to do nothing. And it was, it was incumbent upon everyone to be morally outraged every day that that fascist was in the White House. And I use that word advisedly. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are gathered here today to discuss the film. I think
0: that's actually quite a swift transition into what we're talking about, because David Fincher takes a critical look at humanity quite often.
1: Nicely done, Jack. Nicely Thank done. You. That's why you get paid the Thank big Thank you very much. OK, so look, um, <laughs> as everyone will know, so Mank is coming out uh, uh, quite soon. I think it's December the 4th. There'll be another dates later on, but I think it's December the 4th. So uh, Mank is a David Fincher film uh, about uh, the writing of Citizen Kane. And uh, we did a Chris Nolan top 10 just in advance of Tenet, because Nolan had made his 11th film. So Jack and I decided to do the similar thing with uh, our top 10 uh, of, uh, of David Fincher's films, not including Mank's. I've seen Mank, you haven't yet, but you will see it by the time it comes out. And then what we will do is we oh, will do- Oh, I
0: can't believe you've seen it. And you've also given me like a pre-review sort of teaser and it's annoying me. I want to I be able to talk about it with you.
1: Well, as, soo- as soon as you've seen it, we'll record, the, we'll record the podcast. Then we'll put that out when Mank is, is available. But I, what I want to do with that discussion Great. is I want to talk about Citizen Kane. I mean, yes, we'll talk about Mank as well, but I want to talk about Citizen Kane because- I think it's. I, I think Citizen Kane often gets, you know, sort of thought of as a sort of stuffy museum piece, but I think it is. There's a reason why it kept being the called the best film of all time. So there are ten David Fincher films in advance of Mank. Mank is the eleventh. So it, we're going to do the same rules as before without top ten. Now, when we did this with Nolan, it went over more than one podcast. This may go over more than one. I don't think it'll go to three. But again, what we've done is... I don't is... think anyone's
0: going to complain, though. Everybody loved those ones. I'm I'm very excited about this. I feel very similarly about David Fincher as I do about Christopher Nolan. I don't think okay. that there's much I can say bad about David Fincher. Like, none of his films are...
1: It's a, it, well, there I mean, let's, let's, get, on let's get on with we'll it. Let's get on with it. Okay, that. so what we'll do, I think, Jack, is the same rules as before, that we will call the movies down in, in opposite order, and we won't talk about them until we've both called so if I say okay. like number ten, we will talk about the movies at the point that our that our paths converge. Does that make sense to you?
0: It makes sense. Are you going to pull out some bonkers orders again, like putting the Dark Knight last in the trilogy order? Are you going to do something like that? Am I going to get? Are you going to put the Curious Case of Benjamin Button in the top three? Is that what's about to happen?
1: Uh, shall <laughs> I'm, we? I'm worried. Shall, shall 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 we get ahead and discover? Okay. So
0: yes, we should. And before we do, I just want to make a small confession. Yeah. Out of the 10 films, I haven't seen Alien 3. Okay. I just want to say that now. Alien 3 I haven't seen and an even further confession to the confession. I'm not that keen on Alien anyway.
1: Okay. J- so Jack, you not being keen on Alien is a whole other podcast, okay? So so let's not go okay. there yet, all right? So I think the first Alien
0: one, I think it's I think it's good, uh, but I'm never I'm not keen on aliens and so I'm not really particularly keen in the one that everyone says is Really terrible. So
1: that is a whole other podcast, which we will probably (laughs) end up doing. So, Jack, at number 10, in in the top 10 of the 10 of the... We know it's 11. What is your number 10 David Fincher film?
0: So by default, it has to be Alien 3.
1: Okay. And my number 10 is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And then... (sighs) And then my number number 9 is Alien 3. So, since you've not seen it, I'll just do Alien 3 quickly and get it out of the way, and then we can... I've seen bits. Okay.
0: I've seen some clips online. I've seen some discussion.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that doesn't count, but the weird thing about Alien 3 is I've seen it many times and it is always like watching a bunch of bits so the the the, the short version <laughs> the short version of the alien the reason alien 3 is is at number 9 and we'll talk about benjamin button a, a bit further down the reason alien 3 for me is i i wor- i did swither about putting it at number 10 because i think it is the worst but the the point is it's not in t- it's not fincher's fault fincher did not set out to make the film yeah. that we have um uh, as you, everyone will know, I did, a very, I did a documentary about the evolution of the Alien movies. And there was one large section of it was about Vincent Ward and what Vincent Ward was going to do with Alien 3 when it was going to be the name of the rose in space. And how Vincent Ward then got edged out of the project by the producers who just didn't have any faith in him. They were just worried that, that, that this multi-million dollar franchise was about to be given to somebody who had a vision and they didn't want that. And of course, what happened was <laughs> they ended up with a botched script on which uh, Vincent Ward ended up getting a story credit, you know, a, screen, a script credit, but nothing else. And if you look at the... I mean, the whole the whole myth was Vincent Ward could never figure out how to do it. It's not true. If you look at the, the plans that Vincent Ward had, he clearly had a very very good idea of how to do it and the film would have made a lot of sense and then they just threw it out they threw out the whole you know monk planet the wood planet the you know the angel demon stuff that's all at the heart of finch's very interesting script which was described and i think rightly so as you know the name of the rose in space and they just made it into a prison planet movie with a bunch of cgi alien running around and people shouting fuck the preponderance of the word fuck in the script was so great that alien three t-shirts for the production crew, and it was a horrible production as far as I can tell, said Alien 3, and on the back they just said the word fuck in inverted commas, because that was the (laughs) level, no, seriously, that was the level to which it, it had descended. Fincher himself set out to make a very different film, and you can see versions of Fincher's vision in the slight in the reconstructed version that I think Charlie Dilleritz could, uh, uh, oversaw because Fincher of course wouldn't go back and do the director's cut. When they yeah, came- he walked
0: off before the edit was even complete, I think.
1: Yes, and when they finally went back to him when they were doing the sort of the box set stuff and said, Look, you know, would you like to reconstruct it? The the message was basically no, you you missed the chance. I think he had a he was bruised on it. He was clearly a, a very, very good director. He
0: quit filmmaking for a while because of it. Yeah, he but- made Alien Three in nineteen ninety. Is that correct? Nineteen sounds about right. Is that when yeah. that film was made, and then didn't make seven until nineteen ninety five. It might have even been earlier. Yeah. Alien three might have yeah might have been even earlier than that. But he was out of the game for a while. The game.
1: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> very good. But it is it, it is it is a mess. It's not his fault. Um, I remember talking to uh, Charles Dance about how, you know, how, what it was like when, when they knew... No, I, I know Charles Dance through somebody. I've known him for a while, so Charles, he, he's great. Um, and he, took, of course, is in Hey, knowing Charles Dance is... I think that's, as, as far as, you know, kind of name drops are concerned, that's perfectly pretty cool. fine. Uh, 1992, Alien 3, apparently. Um, and I've talked to him about how much on set it kind of became a war of attrition with the producers and you know how everyone felt demoralised by what was happening um, Ralph Brown says the same thing and we know that it wasn't the film it was meant to be I reviewed it for Q magazine when it came out in the abominable final version I remember finishing my review with the, with the line it seemed clever at the time in space no one gives a shit and uh, that was Great. that was how I felt about it's clever it. now thank you it, it, it's- our smoothly running facility has suddenly developed a few problems. I can only hope we are able to all pull together over the next few days until the rescue team arrives for Lieutenant Ripley. It's here. You got Clemens. Stop this raving at once, I'm Stop it. I'm telling you, it's here. Sit here and get that foolish woman back to the infirmary. You you that? Oh, Move it, help me, Fuck. Uh, so yeah, at alien, th- uh, Alien Three at number nine for me. Benjamin Button I find worse because it's the film he wanted it to be. What was your number nine?
0: My number nine is Panic Room.
1: Okay, but so we can talk about Benjamin Button. And we-
0: is the Curious Case okay. of Benjamin Button
1: very good? And um, my number eight is The Game. So. Let's do Benjamin Button first. Oh. You go first, because I've just gone on about Alien Three.
0: Okay. So I've only seen The Curious Case of Benjamin Button twice. I saw it a long time ago and could barely remember it. So it's one of the ones I knew I had to rewatch before doing this podcast. And it's weird how much of it like stuck, like it feels like it clung to my brain somehow. And so I was watching it unfold and I was like, I definitely remember this well. And on this rewatch. The thing that really stuck out to me was how fucking weird it is. It's such a weird film. Like I'm watching it, being like, okay, so it's a bit like Pinocchio. It's got that sort of old storybook kind of vibe to it. It's a you know, a lot of people have compared it to something like Forrest Gump. The sort of the lifelong span of a, of a character and all the people he touches along the way. But I just found a lot of the stuff that it's like set against, like some of the backdrop, the story structure of it. I was like, this is odd. It's like, why does he need to be old? Cause also other than the fact that he's old and he ages in reverse, there's nothing special about this character. It's not like there's any, anything coming out. He's not a particularly, you know, magnetic presence or anything. It's just, it's Brad Pitt. Imagine if, It wasn't Brad Pitt. You'd be way less interested. What I liked about it, what really stuck out to me, and I don't think this is what the film is solely about because it's about so many things, but the thing where he, as a child, who looks like an old man, meets this girl and they're like childhood friends and then they meet in the middle of their age and they become lovers and then as as she gets older and he gets younger, although he gets dementia as a little boy, which is just such a heartbreaking thing to watch and did actually I found that very emotional but it was the changing relationship between Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett where by the end she's got this sort of motherly relationship with him and I find that you know there's moments of beauty throughout of it but it's just so fucking weird it's just such a weird film and I couldn't ever get that out of my head and you're right it's all what Fincher wanted it to be. And so when it ends and it's got the Robert Zemeckis font, but it says directed by David Fincher, I just feel confused. I think that Fincher's really good at setting a mood, but I don't think the mood he's good at setting is romance. I don't think he... It it almost feels like a criticism of it, even though it's it. It's very strange. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I've only seen it once and I have no desire to see it again. I mean, I I know... I've read people who've read it, and they said when you see it again, it is more emotional. I mean, I, funnily enough, I remember it quite clearly. I mean, I remember the the images that you're talking about there, and and I remember the bits. of People say when I watch that again, it really struck me. And it, you know, in my own person, for my own personal reasons, there are reasons why I feel that that should it should touch me personally. But I just remember watching the film when it came out and thinking, this is this is, and this is the forest gum comparison this is a film that exists because the technology has allowed it to. And it's a short story. And, yeah, you're and right. I, it, it is.
0: Because the it, guy, it's like a joke just, that wears itself out. It's like, yeah, I get it. Because he, he's old, but he's supposed to be young. Uh, I, yeah. I get it.
1: And there's and it's you know again we come down to the you know the jurassic park thing you know you, you were so busy wondering whether you could you never stopped to think <laughs> if you should and i think the uh, i think the fact is with benjamin button you you shouldn't
0: i just um, <laughs> i just don't know and i feel this about a few things that finch has done but this so the most is i don't understand why he wanted to tell it i don't know wh- why what is it about this thing that was, he was like yeah that's that's what i want to do next and I also think you're right that it should be a short story, but it's actually, I think, Fincher's longest film.
1: Yeah, although it is a short story, and 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 that the, the whole thing that that I think it's the, I'm I'm always reminded of this thing that that Kurt Vonnegut said that the big problem with science fiction novels, um, there's a character in Kurt Vonnegut's uh, books called uh, Kilgore Trout, is a science fiction writer. And the the thesis in Vonnegut's uh, uh, writing is that the science, the ideas in science fiction novels are great, but the writing is often terrible. And so what he does is he just paraphrases, he says, Kilgore Trout once wrote a novel in which, and then he describes the central idea of the novel in a few paragraphs. And that's great. The idea is great, but you'd never want to read the novel. Um, And I do feel like with Benjamin Button, it's what it is. You could, you know, it is, it's a, it's a thing, and you go, and the thing is that he's living that, and she's living that, and then it goes like that, and the thing, and you go, that's a nice idea, anyway, let's go for a walk <laughs> <laughs> rather than let's sit down and watch it all play out in front of us,
0: yeah it there's never a mo- it's doing too much stuff as well, just even on a uh, technical filmmaking level it's like the clunkiest of Finch's films because he's usually very efficient and very direct with what he's doing and Benjamin Button seems to be juggling lots of different things within the first 10 or 15 minutes and I'm like I'm not sure what's going on actually I think another comparison that comes to mind is uh, my favourite Tim Burton film which is Big Fish and I think that film I like Big Fish love Big Fish and I think that film does yeah. the same thing that Benjamin Button's doing that sort of storyteller telling you something that you're not sure what happened and what's exaggerated and all the rest of it as this person is dying and i think big fish does that in a really beautiful sentimental and surreal way and fincher hasn't got the chops for that and i don't think that's a criticism of fincher i just think that he picked the wrong genre it's like what are you doing you're the guy who made seven what are you making this for
1: but i don't mind genre hopping i just think i (sighs) just I just think, I mean, the point which I agree is, like I said, short story. Why? 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 Why am I? Why am I watching it at such length? Why? It, it's just. And also, it, it, it's an it's a it's a story of an idea. It's not a film. Some people were born to sit by a river. Some get struck by lightning.
0: Some have an ear for music. Some are artists.
1: Some swim,
0: some no buttons, some no Shakespeare, some are mothers, and some people dance.
1: Now, I'm troubled that you had as your number eight... Panic Room, No, yeah?
0: number nine was Panic Room. I had it... Uh, I number had,
1: nine was Panic Room. Yeah. Okay, so my number my number eight is The Game. Okay. What's your number eight?
0: So my number eight was The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. My number seven okay, is The Game.
1: Is The Game. Okay, fine. So then we can move on to The Game. Uh, you want to go first? No, please, go ahead. The Game is one of those films that has garnered respect over the years. Um... People now sort of cite it as a much better film than it than it was given credit for. I don't think it is. <laughs> Not least because and I know this sounds like a, a fatuous criticism. I remember sitting there watching it. When I was when I was a teenager, and I've told this story a million times, I went to see a razor head with my friend Nick Cooper. And Nick Cooper just sat through the whole film huffing and puffing and and then there was a moment when the, the you know the 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 imaginary baby with the head that at this point grown to the size of the room whilst the woman was singing behind the radiator and henry was hiding under he turned to me and he went that wouldn't happen and i remember thinking <laughs> in terms of the game the only thing i could think was no no <laughs> just just no and and it because because it was so fundamentally no and we know that that idea has subsequently been, you know, done in other forms. Everyone goes, oh, it's like the game, you know, oh, it's the game, oh, it's like the game. And I just go, no. <laughs> <laughs> do
0: you know what it is? I like that David Fincher seems to, especially in his early career, and, he's, and it goes up into, like, kind of Gone Girl, is that every now and again he goes, I just want to do a, a fun one. I want to just sort of do this. I want to do one where like, oh, she's locked in a panic room. Let's see what happens. Oh, I'm going to do one where a guy is in a game so you don't know what's real and what's not. I'm going to do one where halfway through it turns out, spoilers, she did it all along and we're just going to, you know, we're going to follow that journey. It's mad pulpy stuff that he likes to do. Um, and I really like the game. And I think to me, it feels like, it almost feels like Inception, but you're watching Killian uh, Murphy's character the whole time. That's what it feels like. It feels like someone has... Like David Fincher, he is the game in the way that it's Nolan's dream. So like, he has just gone, what are the mechanics I need to take this character from this point in his life to this point in his life? And how can I make just like a big, fun, silly, pulpy thriller out of that? And so he's just going, all right, I'm going to put him into these extreme situations and make him realize these things about himself and put him under pressure... And at the same time, I think that that is a criticism of high society and rich people because in order to feel anything, these are the lengths that they have to go to in order to feel basic human emotions. But the whole story really, kind of like at the deep down Inception, I've said this last time, that Inception is a therapy movie about Dom Cobb getting over the death of his wife or realizing that he was responsible for it in some way. The game is about Michael Douglas's character realizing that he doesn't need to have complete control over his life. And that doesn't mean that he'll end up like his father and jumping off a roof, which, you know, there's a literal parallel in the movie of that happening. I think it's really smart. But yeah, but I also think it's really silly and it knows it's really silly and it's just doing it to give you the some the meta cinema structure to take you on a ride that's going to be satisfying. But along the way, you're just going to have loads of fun and there's going to be loads of stupid twists about who's in on it and who's not.
1: Okay but but, he, but here's the thing I agree with everything that you've just said but that's not subtext I mean that's literally the text of the film Yeah but I, I think mean, that, the thing wearing about...
0: that on its sleeve sort of gives it permission to just go and have a laugh
1: Oh could be, so you're saying that because there's no because there's no attempt to hide the fact that it is exact. it is about exactly what it says it's about yep. that they might as well just have fun with it
0: uh, Yeah and I think the only thing I don't particularly like is that the ending Sort of undercuts it a little bit. I think I okay. almost feel like I the wish ending- the, the end, the ending where he it turns out that it is all part of the game, and he just gets yes. given a t-shirt. The ending is
1: one of the stupidest endings. Well, I, I was wondering whether or not
0: you were going to have some sort of like, oh, but is that real or not? Sort of theory. I thought no. you were going to like full no doubt that rises. In.
1: No, <laughs> no, it's absolutely real. It's as stupid as it looks. That's the thing, I and mean, and and that's and and that's the problem for me. It's like. It's. It, it is. It is exactly the movie that you just described. And somebody asleep in the back row would get that. It is. It is like a movie which is going. All right, up in the, up there in the balcony. You getting this? He's discovering <laughs> that there is more to life than what he thought at the beginning. It is all being organised. <laughs> by Sean Penn Sean Penn
0: organized all of this that's
1: right and he knew every single thing that was going to happen including the
0: I think is what I just just think that it's so well made and everyone in it is so good like I really like every time that the TV starts speaking to him I still go oh because it's done so well it's not like really corny and cheesy even though you know the whole thing is really corny corny and cheesy cheesy. the whole thing is (laughs) but the way that they do it it has I don't know it just works I think Fincher knows how to do that sort of stuff and make it work that's my take I think it's allowed to be silly and fun uh, and and I'm fine with that
1: never mind who that is you want to know how a camera got into your home
0: yes I would
1: 24 hour consumer recreation services hotline for emergencies only. But don't call asking what the object of the game is, figuring that out is the object of the game. Good luck and congratulations on choosing C.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: One of the things that's interesting is that I mean we're still fairly high up the list, and you're still on movie, and you're now already on movies that you really like, which means that everything else you like more than that. Yeah, I I like all of these
0: films. I even enjoy watching. This is the thing. I've got Panic Room at number nine, which is my least favorite Fincher film, but I have Curious Case of Benjamin Button above that because I think (laughs) I just was a bit more like. Like taken by Benjamin Button this time than I was, but because I think Panic Room's a bit boring. Where's Panic Room for you? Are we at number seven for you yet?
1: Okay, so what's up? Okay, no, so hang on. So my number seven is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay. So what's so so your number seven was was the
0: game, but my number six is the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs>
1: And my number six is Panic Room. Ah. So since you brought since you brought up, we're panic kind of room first, we're doing
0: all right at the moment. We're sort of in the same sort of spots.
1: Yeah, we're not a million miles away. Now, I, I should say I like Panic Room. I really I really enjoy it. I like um, Panic early Room. Early great too. performance. Early great performance by K Stew, who of course is you know has gone on to be one of the greatest things. Evs. Um, I think one of the, one of the one of the the, the reasons I lo- oh I, you don't think.
0: Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that Kristen Stewart is very okay, good. Okay, that's
1: another podcast. That's another podcast. Why? Why is K-Stew great or not? Anyway, <laughs> I th- one of the things <laughs> I really on. like about Panic. One of the re- yes, she apparently she's not busy. One of the things that I really like uh, about Panic Room, other than the design and the sort of the, the the stripped down nature of it, is that it has a real kind of uh, Hitchcockian logic. I mean, it's an architecturally constructed plot. I mean, quite literally an architecturally constructed plot. And it's to do, it, it, I think partly this was to do with when it came out. At the time that it came out, that idea of barricading yourself into a safe room in your house struck a particular chord because I had never heard of a panic room. I mean, I had never heard of it. I know, I now, I know now that people do, you know, the, the, the idea is quite familiar. But I remember people going, what's a panic room? We, did, we we did, we had no idea what it was, and oh, what it's a room. Into- well, I just remember because I was a kid when it came
0: out, and to me, panic room sounded like a horror film. It just sounded like oh, mm, like like that it sounded so foreign to me that it just sounded like I never wanted
1: to see it. But it also sounds like a room that you go into in order to enjoy panicking, rather than it's a room that you go into because you're panicking, and therefore you go into. So I I really. What do you mean? <laughs> but it's it's like a room you go into to enjoy panicking. Yeah, because if you say it's something like a panic room, it's like a chill out room, or a, you know, or a, something. It's a panic. Oh, let's go to the panic room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my panic room. That's where I chill out and read. That's right. And that's my panic, that's panic room. room and that's my gym. <laughs> whenever
0: I'm feeling like I need a little panic. That's my gym, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I go to calm that's down. That's where I go for a panic.
1: It, well, that's what it sounded like. That's what a panic room sounded like. You know, hey, come on. It's like <laughs> that's when I go when I need to calm down. <laughs> <A> little <laughs> panic
0: room. But I'm, if you feel yourself like on the edge, that's where you go. Yeah, There's but, lots of things in there Jack, that you need water. Here's the thing.
1: I mean, yeah, a blanket sentence. Yes. There. It, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I but I'd never heard the phrase before. And and bear in mind back at the time <laughs> I don't think any you know most other people hadn't. And then when you go oh it's that thing that you barricade yourself into something because you've bar-, it's like okay, fine. So the whole film is about the way in which people barricade themselves into things and you know and that becomes more dangerous than the thing about I, I just thought it was it, it, it kind of has that like I said, it has an architectural logic to it. It looks fantastic. I think it looks really, it really good. It's got that early Fincher sort of—I
0: don't know if voyeuristic is the word it is for voyeuristic. It, that, that sort of impossible camera yeah. where it sort of goes through keyholes, and you know he does that quite a lot in Fight Club as well.
1: Yeah, and it's a—it's a, its a genre film, and it and it's kind of stripped down. And I—I I mean, I yeah, it's
0: stripped back. It's nuts and bolts. It's—it's it's the same as the game. It's like here's what you need to know. We're going to play with these things now. It's like some of the things I don't like. Uh, or like, oh, she's got uh, asthma or something. She's got something like that where... You need to give her a shot, otherwise she'll go into a coma. Is like, okay, this feels like you've just gone. We need something. <laughs> we need something that's going to like p- p- give jeopardy to this situation. But I,
1: do, I don't have I don't have any problem with devices because it's, it's a genre film. I don't have any problem with a device which says, okay, here's the thing. You're locked in this thing, and then you got to do this other thing. It's a. I mean, for one thing, Jack, you you're somebody who in real life has gone to those escape room things, right? You know, you go to those escape rooms and you go somewhere and you... Well, it, it's kind of... The, it's a similar sort of logic to it. It can confi- oh, I miss escape rooms. Confi-
0: yeah. Yeah, it's that. It's Panic Room and The Game are similar to to that. It's that very, like, problem-solve-it yeah. type of filmmaking. Yeah,
1: yeah. and, I, and I, I think it works. I think on that level it works.
0: And it also is a family drama as well. It's all dressed up in a thriller, but it's just about this little um, separated family and their little drama. I think that that's really good. And I think it's nice to see Jared Leto get shot in the face. <laughs>
1: what the fuck is this? There's a little girl on the top floor. There's a woman on the third. They're both asleep. They're not supposed to be here. This is your department, you hey, mean. they are not supposed to be here. Videotape. What? We're on videotape. We've been on videotape since we got within 10 feet of this place. And the tape's from upstairs stairs. 14, 14 day Fuck to me,
0: man. 14 day man. That's almost three weeks. They should, should
1: not be in here for another week. Uh, exactly how? It's fourteen days, three weeks. Business days. A scroll is always business days. Five day weeks, always. So let's talk
0: about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yes.
1: Okay. So, um, so the the girl the girl with the dragon tattoo. Uh, so I pre- for, for for dropping a, for name dropping here, I presented the BAFTA for foreign language film. Uh, the, the,
0: oh, okay. We're making it a remake situation.
1: Yeah. The it. year that the, the original girl with the dragon tattoo won. And uh, and I did a fantastic speech um, uh, that was then cut from the that was then cut from the BBC broadcast, which was a shame. Um, Unbelievable! Because they, how dare they? Yes, well, no, because I ended. Don't up, they know who you are? I wasn't anybody, but um, uh, but uh, of course, what they did was at the end of the ceremony, they went also on tonight's BAFTAs of Foreign Language Film Oscar uh, Best Sound Design, uh, Best Grip, making a competition. You know, I would say so because it was foreign language film at that point, they just thought, oh, that's no one cares about that stuff nowadays they wouldn't do that because nowadays they'd be embarrassed about the idea but back then foreign language film got shoved into the au- not English yeah not English cut it get it out <laughs> and uh, and at the uh, at the Oscars at the BAFTAs that year there were a bunch of um, American producers and American filmmakers in, in the audience Um Weinstein obviously and uh, and everyone else and I, and Fincher was up for something but he couldn't be there because he was in the process of remaking it and I said in my speech you know film is an international language due to the you know the, the miracle of subtitles it is possible for films in any language to be understood by anyone around the world except for in America where they have to remake them in american um And then uh, Girl with Dragon Tattoo won the BAFTA and then the next year's Fincher. So my problem with the Fincher is there is nothing, and I mean nothing in the Fincher that improves upon the original film. It's not to say I don't think it's slick and beautifully filmed, because it is, but it isn't moving the dial forward at all. That said, it's very well made. And I think the comparison would be with me putting Insomnia Quite a long way down the down the list on the Nolan films is it's good, but it's not bringing a whole lot new to the table. So I think that, that the Fincher girl with the dragon tattoo is a good film, um, as is, and I think it's not like a bad film like Benjamin Button, but it's it, what it isn't is doing anything. New. It is it's not doing anything new. It's just telling a story which has been told before. That's why I think Panic Room is is a better film.
0: So I'm gonna. Just start again by saying I haven't seen the original the way that I hadn't seen the original Insomnia, um, so I can't compare them. So I should check that out. I need to, I need to do that. I think it's just because I'm more of a Fincher fan, yeah. So, but I love murder mysteries and detective noirs and c- crime thrillers. Like I love that sort of stuff. So the idea as well that because what I might what I said about Insomnia was the problem is it isn't seven and it wants to be Seven. Um, and I think it, what's great is that Fincher, the guy who made Seven and redefined that genre to the point where people couldn't really touch it, like they couldn't get to that point of making something that good, he keeps doing crime thrillers, and each one of them doesn't feel like it's trying to do Seven. I love the fact that every time he does something in this genre where there's a murderer on the loose or whatever, it doesn't feel like he's just doing his shtick. And I think that is amazing because I think somebody who usually sticks to their own genre ends up repeating themselves a little bit. But Fincher doesn't feel like he does to me, which I think is
1: great. Yeah, but weirdly, in the case of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, I think he's repeating someone else. And and what I'd say is, if you if you enjoy Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, watch the original because for one thing, it's a lot nastier. I mean, it's a it's a it's a
0: really yeah. so. This is what I was going to say is that I think that even though I. Th- I would say that Finch's nastiest film is seven. I think it's his nastiest, like gruesome yes. most gruesome watch. Yeah. But I think the events of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo make me want to look away more. Yeah, well. I think that he's not done anything worse than the the, the rape scene yeah. where it's just there there it is and it's just horrible to watch, and he makes you stay with it, which I understand why he's doing it. I'm not against that, personally. I understand why somebody wouldn't enjoy that, and I don't think it's there to be enjoyed. Obviously, that's the point, is look at this horrible thing, and you understand now why she hates this so much. But I just find that very difficult to to watch. And then I think, I really like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I want to watch it. It's got that great murder mystery thing going on. And then I'm like, but there is a lot of rape in it and i don't know if i want to sit and watch that again do you know what i mean yes. it's just got something about it that i don't although, really you know, want to revisit
1: i'd say that that, that, that that's that, that all of what you've said is true of the first film and the effect that the, i mean i remember watching the first film and being genuinely shocked by that equivalent scene in the first film and and also you know it clearly it's not, not done in a titillating way it's done as it's meant to be ugly and horrible it's meant to be about you know about power and control um and it is uh, so i just i just think that Fincher moving the dial on has happened less. I had Irina down here in that cage. Who's Irina, you might ask? Just another girl, just another immigrant whore. Who misses that? Your sister wasn't. What? Your sister, Harriet, wasn't just another girl. You found her. What happened to her? You
0: her. You useless fucking
1: detective. It's too tired to talk. Good. Tired of talking to you. Well, that's where we're going to leave it for this first part of our on film David Fincher special. In the next edition, we're going to count down numbers five to one in our top ten David Fincher movies. Check out that podcast when it arrives. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, keep watching the skies.